So if we have not met yet, then I'm sorry about that. My name is Melanie. I'm married to Stuart and I'm one of the leaders here in Real Life Church. It is my absolute pleasure to look after the young. I think the young are incredible and I love them so much. So, and they, I was saying yesterday how the young have this great way of just telling you the truth always. So if they're bored, they say, well, this is boring. Um, and if they're happy, they go, well, I'm all right about this. And if they're hungry, my goodness, it's like you've never fed them in your lives. If they're thirsty, if they're hurt, if they, they just say it as it is. So I do enjoy working with the young. I also get to look after what we do in the community um, and what we do outside of our doors and how we engage with the community, which I also love. So I feel like I have the best job ever because I get to hang out with the young and also interact with the community. And sometimes I have to, you know, lead with on a leadership team and, you know, do admin and all that kind of stuff. I'm a mummy. I've got two boys and I have a great love for cream eggs. You thought I was going to say Jesus, didn't you? I do have a great love for Jesus, um, but I do have a great love for cream eggs. So at Messy Easter, I said what I would love to happen is that every hour of this day to be handed cream eggs. So, so far this morning, I've been handed all of these. So apparently every hour of the day, I will be, I'm going to feel really sick tonight. I was thinking of these little ones, you know, every hour of the day, pop a little one in. I've got these big boys. So every hour of the day is my challenge. So no one needs to throw an egg at me during my preach. So I, I do know that that was banded around at Messy East. I just want to say it's not necessary because I've got them here. So I don't need eggs thrown at me in any way, shape or form. I hope you got something yummy to eat this morning. We had chocolate for breakfast. It was like one day, no, two days in the, no, three days actually. We always have chocolate for breakfast on Valentine's Day, Christmas and Easter. So it's a great morning for that. So you'll be pleased to know I'm not going to speak about cream eggs the whole time, even though I might like to. I'm just posing it up for my photo so that I always end up with a weird photo online of me doing some weird facial mannerism or hands. So I'm just going to pose that one up. Um, I am going to talk about Jesus because the reason for today, the reason we celebrate, the reason we sing, to be honest, the reason we sing every week, the reason we sing every day is because we worship a God who is alive. We don't worship a dumb idol. We don't worship in dead places. We don't look to things that are statues or we worship a God who is alive alive and it is incredible. So we're going to get into the scriptures today. You'll be pleased to know. Um, Matt Bowen is going to read for me. So if a microphone could make it over to Matt Bowen, he's going to read Acts 9, 1 to 18. And you might be thinking, ah, it's not a resurrection story. It is a resurrection story. So take a listen to Matt. Acts 9, 1 to 18. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager, eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the, in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to the 
back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechlessly, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companion, companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there, blind for three days, and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus, a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, "Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul." He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Thank you very much, Matt. You can find that story in Acts 9, 1 to 18, and it is the story where we meet Saul, who is sometimes called Paul. And I want to tell you some things about what it's like to meet God who is alive I want to tell you some things of what it's like in your own life, but in the lives of other people. I want to tell you what it was like for Saul, what it was like for Ananias, what it was like for the believers everywhere, what it was like for us who now read our Bible with loads of Paul's writings and letters in. So we meet Saul at the stoning of Stephen and you might miss it if you read the story because actually the story is all about Stephen and his faith in God. And it is a beautiful story. So you find this story in Acts 7, uh, 58 to 60. And it says this, Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him. So this is Stephen. Stephen's a believer, a follower of the way. He loves Jesus. They rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. The accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. So this is Saul Paul. Saul, and as they stoned him to death, Stephen prayed, 
Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died while Saul is watching, while Saul is looking on, while Saul is celebrating his mission accomplished in the death of someone who loves Jesus and follows Jesus. Saul in the Bible has two names, but it's not like sometimes in the Bible you get God renaming people. You get, a, you know, I, he was called this and then so Abraham, Abraham. It's not like that. He's Saul Paul. He's Saul in his Hebrew name and Paul is his Roman name or known to the Romans. It's like a name that would have been acceptable. It's a bit like Levi Matthew. So they're, they're both the same person. You read them in different gospels and it. One, one is Levi, one's Matthew. They're the same, they're the same person. So same person, two names. He's from Tarsus, which is an ancient city in Turkey, but likely to have been raised in Jerusalem. He's a tent maker. So he has a trade. He's a Roman citizen, which is key later on as you get to know Paul in the book of Acts and all the letters that he wrote. He's a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, and he's a Pharisee. If this was a pantomime, you'd all go boo when I say Pharisee, because at the time of Jesus, what whenever you encounter the Pharisees, they're, they're always nitpicking, they're always looking for ways to trap Jesus or catch Jesus out. So he was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin and a Pharisee. The event where Paul meets the risen Jesus, which I just love, like the man who was condemning followers of the way meets the way. He meets the way, the truth and the life. The point where he meets him it is about, they reckon, about 10 years after the death of Jesus. I feel like that's significant for us to know and understand that Paul was around, effectively, the early church revival. He was around where loads of men and women were handing their lives over to Christ. He was around where they were preaching, teaching, where they were bold. He was around not when they scarpered at the cross. He was around when they were filled with the Spirit and willing to lay down their very lives for Jesus Christ. He was around at the point when Peter would have stood up and delivered that incredible speech and men and women were handing their lives over to Jesus. He stood there at the stoning of Stephen and watched as one man willingly laid down his life for his saviour and cried out to God and said, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. He was around authentic, full-blown Christianity and yet was so dead in his sin and so consumed with his own mission and his own desire to wipe out Christians that he could not see Jesus. And I say that because some of you do know what it's like to walk around with everything going on around you, but you can't see it. You can't see it for yourself. So you can see that everybody else is meeting with Jesus, everyone else is having encounters with God, but you can't see it for yourself. 
I say that because some of you are praying and hoping for people who look like they're on their own mission, doing their own thing, going their own way, while Jesus Christ is alive and in the room and present, and they can't see it. Ten years, this man would have been around, effectively, early church revival. He was around it all would have been hearing the truth, listening to the truth, and yet nothing in his life changed. And in fact, what we read about is a man who was eager to kill Christians, eager to imprison them. He's, he's, he's around at the same time where men and women are dying for their faith and eager for Jesus, but he is eager to wipe them out. So his mission at the same time, he's clearly passionate. Every translation I read of this story used the word eager when it came to Paul's desire to wipe out Christians. There's something about being eager, isn't there? I was thinking about it. Like the things, like I, I get excited about a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm an extrovert. I'm an external press processor. Loads gets me excited. I'm an early adopter. If you bring me an idea that has got an edge of something exciting about it, I'm, I'm usually the first person going, yeah, we should do that. I'm fortunately married to a man who often looks at it and goes, no, I can see all of the pitfalls in that one. So it's fortunate, otherwise I feel like I might be a maniac adapting, you know, taking on everything really. So he was eager to kill the Lord's followers eager to arrest them, zealous about it on his mission. Paul was trained and qualified, educated, passionate, convinced about his way of life. Do you know people like that? Educated, passionate, convinced, on a mission, building their empire, living the dream, doing it their way. It basically describes a lot of people I know. Paul was that man on his mission, well-educated, convinced, trained, successful, to be honest, at what he put his hand to. He was traveling places to imprison or get rid of Christians. He was authorised by the leading priests of the time. So he had letters that would help him fulfil his mission. He was helped by religious leaders and teachers. I felt like this Easter, that came with a bit of warning, is in this day and age, just because you can get a lot of religious people to agree with you doesn't mean you're right. And it's a good lesson for us all, really. Just because you can find 20 people on Facebook and Dave on Twitter doesn't mean you are right. Just because a group of people will back you up or will go with you doesn't mean you're right. It, made, it reminded me this morning on Easter Sunday how important it is who your community is and who the voices are that speak into your life. Who the people are who go yes or go no. How important it is that those voices are voices that don't just agree with everything you're doing, but voices that will challenge what you are doing also, will question it, will go, hang on, are prepared to say when they think you're wrong. Often we remove ourselves from that kind of community because it's really costly. 
It's really costly to lay your stuff out there among people who may disagree. It's easy to lay your stuff out there to people who agree with you, who will go along with you, who will nod their heads and go, great idea, love it. I'll write you a letter of recommendation for that. There you go. It's harder to be in community where people will question, challenge and go, hang on a minute. Those kind of friends are harder to be around, but they are the kind of friends you want. You want people that go, hang on a minute, who see bigger, who understand what's going on. He was traveling, Paul, from Jerusalem to Damascus, where death literally met life. What we're described as before we know Jesus is dead in our sin. It's not very nice, is it? You read the Bible sometimes, you think, man, you could have coated that a little bit. Could have fluffed that up a little bit. It's very straight, the Bible. One of the young people told me they're reading through Romans, and I inwardly kind of went, oh, it's a chewy one, isn't it? Tells the truth. We are dead in our sin. That's how the Bible describes us. So the reason you can't see Jesus, you can't appreciate Jesus, you don't know Jesus, is because you're dead. And dead people don't see, hear, think. They, they don't do anything. Paul, dead in his sin, comes into contact with Jesus, who is very much alive. Young people, did you get that? Alive? I know it's on your sheet, and if I say the word alive, you have to tally it. So, shall I say alive again? He is alive. Truly alive. How many times did I get it in that one? Four. Okay, I'm going to go for a sentence with six times in it. All right, four. Four times. He is alive. Truly alive. Paul comes into contact with life. Paul comes into contact with Jesus when he's on the road to somewhere else on his own mission, doing his own thing, educated, self-sufficient, passionate, successful, on his road to fulfilling his mission, he encounters Jesus, who is all about his own mission. Paul has a different mission that God has already planned for him, already got in place for him. Paul describes it like seeing a light from heaven, and I love that. That's exactly how Jesus would describe himself. So if you read John 8 verse 12, it says this, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Paul comes in direct contact, direct conflict with light. And light and darkness do not exist in the same place. One definitely triumphs over the other. Life and death, one definitely triumphs over the other. That's what happened for us on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. I loved all the posts on social media yesterday saying, Sunday is coming. As every time I read that post, I was like, yes, it is. You see, the cross is not enough. It's not enough that Jesus died in our place for all our sin. Good Friday's not enough. 
If we don't have the resurrection, if we don't have him alive, if we don't have him beating sin and death, if we don't have the grave empty, the cross is futile. One doesn't work without the other. We must have Sunday and Friday. I love Friday for that. Friday feels a little bit like Christmas Eve. It's that we're, we're waiting for something. We know it's coming. We know it's finished. We know it's done. What Paul came into contact with on the road to Damascus was the risen Jesus. The risen Jesus speaks to him. The risen Jesus reveals himself to him. And suddenly Paul's life is utterly transformed. I want to say this loud and clearly. People don't get saved because they do an alpha course. People don't get saved because they hear a great sermon, even though there is some great preaching that happens in this house. People don't get saved because they sing a song and think, man, the way the worship team put that together, got that out there, brought us into God's presence, awesome. People get saved because they meet Jesus. You got saved because you met Jesus and he's alive. So you're dead in your sin. Spirit man, spirit woman was brought to life by him. He called your name. He resuscitated you, made you breathe again, live again. What Paul experienced was what we call salvation, conversion, And you can't bypass that. You cannot manufacture that. We can put on as many events as we like, as many meetings as we like. If we do not have the presence of God here, if we do not have God speaking and calling people's name, nobody gets saved. We're saved because he speaks. We're saved because he hands us the very faith we need in order to respond. If you have not met him yet, he has not called your name. And you do not need to work hard, you need to wait. You probably need to carry on whatever it is you're doing, whatever it is you're busy with. And when he is ready, he will call your name and like Paul, you will change your life. Your mission that you were on, that you were passionate about, that you were giving all of your energy into, you will start doing the things that he loves. He will gather up all your skills, all your gifting, all that you've learned, all your money, everything you've amassed, and he will turn it to good for his kingdom. And I have watched him do that over and over and over again, including when I look in the mirror. I look at everything that I was trained in, everything that I did before, and I watch God taking hold of every bit of it and using it to advance his kingdom and helping me be on his mission instead of my mission. Saul is a great reminder to us that we need to encounter the risen Jesus He's also a great reminder to us that if our friends and family are to ever be saved, it is not because of my invite, although those do help. It is not because I get them into church or I get them on an alpha or I pray enough prayers that it tips the scale and God suddenly goes, oh, all right then. It's because Jesus Christ is alive and he speaks and he walks into people's lives and he says, come now. And I have watched men and women just come. 
I had, like, literally, when God called my name, I, I was all done. I'd asked loads of questions. I'd been around it. I'd seen, I'd seen weird stuff. I'd seen stuff that I thought, what the heck are they doing? Like, you have no idea when you're a Christian how weird it is to sing songs in people's houses, to be smiling and laughing all the time. So weird. I, I honestly thought maybe they, in their bread and wine, like put something in that drugs them all slightly. You know, you have no idea how weird bread and wine is. You have no idea how weird this is. Like sunny outside, it's Easter weekend. Why are you sitting in here? You've no idea how strange some of these things are, but when God calls your name, oh, it's like glorious. And we should never want to bypass that. We should never want to speed that up. We should never want to get in the way of what God's doing in people's lives. We should seek to be helpful, but we should also seek him. We should also be crying out to him, calling on him. It's the only way. Saul then, Saul Paul, I call him Saul Paul, Saul Paul then is physically blind, which is also really interesting. So he spiritually can see the best he's ever seen, but then physically is blinded. And for three days has to stumble around with people helping him. Do you ever read stories in the Bible where you go, what? I, I read so many stories in the Bible where I go, I think it is one of, it is the most fascinating books. If you haven't read it properly yet, you should. There are stories in it that literally make your head go, what? And cause you to study and wrestle and grapple. So he is spiritually, can see the sharpest he's ever seen, but physically he is in great need of other people's help and is humbled right down to his physical body not functioning and not working. I felt like when I prepped this that there will be people in the room who sometimes feel like spiritually I am so alive, I am so alert, but my wretched physical body lets me down sometimes and I need help and stuff gets in the way. And I felt like God would just say you are in splendid company. There are men and women throughout the Bible and throughout history that are so alive spiritually but have a physical body that sometimes just lets them down. Paul required help to do everything because he was suddenly in darkness even though he could see more sharply than he's ever been able to see before. Sometimes our physical body just... I don't know, lets us down. Sometimes God is using what is going on, and I don't believe for one moment God gives us sickness, but sometimes he is using what is going on in our physical body to speak to us spiritually. Sometimes he makes use of what's going on in our lives. Sometimes he ministers to us in ways that we understand and can connect with. Paul was spiritually could see more clearly than he'd ever been able to see, but physically blind. And then you get Ananias. And Ananias is a man who loves Jesus, follows Jesus, and God speaks to him. And God asks him to do something that he is terrified of. He's terrified because this man, Paul, has been going around condoning the killing of followers of the way. This man has been eager 
He stood there at the stoning of Stephen, cheering it on. He has been going from place to place, trying to get rid of followers of the way. And then God says, I want you to go to this man. I want you to go to this man, and I want you to pray for him. I don't blame Ananias for going, "Uh, I'm sorry, God, do you not remember what this man is doing? Ananias hangs back and then does exactly what he's asked to do. Ananias tells God, this scares the absolute pants off me. His pants on your bingo sheet, real life youth. It should have been, shouldn't it? He is terrified because what God has asked of him will cost him and it could cost him his life. It could cost him everything. What God says to us time and time again is actually that life that you have, it's mine And time and time again, he asks us to lay it down. It says in the Bible that we'll take up our cross daily and we'll follow him. What does that mean? That means I'll die daily to myself and I'll live for him. That if I could sum up what it means to be a Christian, it's that. It's that I die daily and I live for him. Ananias had to die in that moment and go, okay, God. I'll lay down my very life to do the things you've asked me to do. I wonder how many of us live like that. Whenever God says, this is what I have for you, we go, okay, I'm laying it down and I'm living for you. And I think that's easy to do when it doesn't cost you anything. Or when it costs you little, it's hard to do when it costs you everything. And some of you know what it's like to pay the price to follow Jesus. Get comfortable with it. It's not a one-time thing. If someone told you when you came to know Jesus that your life will be beautifully middle class with a white picket fence, a dog, probably some, you know, fancy crossbreed, a beautiful garden, a husband, a wife, 2.4 kids, two cars on the drive. If someone told you that's what Christianity is, you have been told a terrible lie. What the Bible says is you will die to yourself daily. You will probably lose everything you had in order to gain him. You will probably suffer. It's not really a great message, is it? Happy Easter, everyone. But these things are true. And if we grasp that, if we understand that we are to die with Christ, we are to be crucified with Christ, and then we live, we're not disappointed when our life is hard. We're not surprised when we have struggles and battles. Christians who are shocked when they suffer shock me. I don't understand that. Read your Bibles. It is very clear if you are to pick a path following Jesus, you'll walk the walk he walked, which means you will, it will cost you everything and you will gain the whole earth. You will gain so much more than you ever lay down, but it will cost you everything. You will walk a path where you will suffer and eventually you will die. Happy Easter. And then you will be raised to life again because you serve a God who is alive. And so what he did was open the door so that you could walk through, so that Paul could walk through. 
On the road to Damascus, Paul came into contact with God who is alive and then he started breathing again. He started living. He started doing what he was truly made for. God scooped up all of his gifting, all of his stuff and said, right, now we're on my mission. Ananias is caught up in God's story. It's like a bit part in the story, Ananias, because Paul, then the rest of the Bible really is lots of stuff written by Paul about Paul. But this man was so obedient and played his part. I don't get the sense from him that he's like, oh, why Paul, God, and not me? What's wrong with picking me? What's wrong with Ananias going on and writing all the books? What Ananias does is he says, yes, Lord, And disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, say, yes, Lord. We teach that to our kids in our home. We're drumming it into them over and over again. What I want to hear is, yes, mummy. When I say, brush your teeth, I want to hear, yes, mummy. When I say, get dressed, I want to hear, yes, mummy. When I say, put your tablet down, I want you to smile and go, yes, mummy. Ain't never happening, but that's what we want. That's what we want. We want a yes, mummy. We do eventually get a yes, mummy, but it is delayed obedience. Followers of the way need to be like Ananias and play their part in the story. You might not be a Paul on the earth, but you sure can be an Ananias. You sure can be one who says, yes, Lord, and gets to enter in on his story again and again and again. Paul is saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then baptized in water. It's like the whole package. Let me say to you today, on Easter Sunday, are you saved like Paul? Have you heard his voice? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know what it is to walk around with the God who is alive in you? Do you see properly, or are you still blind? Are you walking around on your own mission, but really you're dead inside? Have you been brought to life? And are you baptised in water? I have it on good authority that we are going to do a baptism in this place at the start of July. So we're just, we're just negotiating the first two Sundays, which one it will be. But we will do one of those Sundays. The date will be out there. ASAP. If you have not made that public declaration that I've died to my old way of life and I've been brought back to life, if you've not shown everybody that, then maybe you want to get baptised at the start of July. Maybe you want to join Duncan and Claire in the water. Not at the same time, because it'd be a little cosy. And it's also going to be a little cold, the water, because the way we're working it out now, it, it won't be as warm as it usually is, but, but I know you're up for it. A chilly dip in a baptism pool. Maybe you need to make that decision that says he's alive. I know he's alive. He lives in me. Paul goes on then to write 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. God pulls in all of Paul's training, all of his experiences, and gets him to write some of the most amazing letters and books like they're, they're literally so rich and so beautiful because now he's alive, because now all of his stuff can function and flourish properly. 
Sometimes we're frustrated because we're not actually doing what God has asked us to do with our gifts. We're using our gifts, we're using our talents, we're using our skills, but we're not using them how God wants us to use them. We're not using them in the ways that he has asked us to do. So they still feel like the things we're good at still feel a bit uncomfortable, don't quite sit right because we're not using them right. Sometimes we're around people that we know we're supposed to say things to, do things with, that we just don't. And so our time with them feels uncomfortable because I know I should say this, I know I should do this, but I just don't. And so I feel like, wah. I know God wants to set us free from that. Paul was God's chosen instrument that he wanted to play and sound out for generations. I still listen to the words of Paul and am changed by it because I know that the God who is alive is speaking through this man who he brought to life. It's amazing to me that Paul still ministers and speaks today to Gentiles and kings and queens. He still has something to say to us all. So I'm going to finish up with this. Salvation belongs to our God. I feel like I should sing that really. Who sits on the throne. Salvation belongs to our God. You cannot congratulate yourself ever. If you ever get to a place where your songs sound like, it's all about me, just me. Something's very wrong in your walk with Jesus. It's all about him. If you are saved here today, it's because he called your name. You are nowhere near clever enough, sin-free enough to save yourself. If you are not saved, it is because God has not called your name and said, come now. If you sometimes feel like you're dead inside and you you just don't know how to function or what to do. It is because you need him. You don't need to take a good look at yourself. You've been doing that for far too long. You need him. I love well-being and I love the emphasis on mental health. What I do not like is the answer is not found within yourself ever. And I feel sad for a generation that are hunting for well-being and meaning within. I feel sad, literally I cry over it, for a generation that are being told such a lie that they will find health and well-being from within themselves. That they have the power, that they can drum it up. What I know full well is it is well with my soul when I am right with my God. What I know full well is the only way I can be spiritually well, fully alive, seeing not blind, is if I know Jesus, as if I follow Jesus, as if I love Jesus. The cross cries out in a loud voice, I died for you. I died for you. Each and every one of you, I died for you. The tomb says he is alive, which means the empty tomb opens up a way for me to fully live as well. It is the most incredible incredible package deal and it will cost you nothing and everything because it cost him everything so we follow suit when we follow Jesus and we lay down our very lives in order to pick it up and run with perseverance the race that God has marked out for us we are fully alive when we die 
It's, it's the mystery of being a Christian. We need to be saved, filled with the Spirit and baptised in water. If you can't tick one of those three boxes, sort it out. Get us to help you. Talk to us. Say, I, I'm not filled with the Spirit. I'm not baptised in water. I'm not saved. There are things we can do to be useful in all of those things. Jesus is alive and he's on a mission. The question I want to ask is, are you on his mission today? On Easter Sunday, are you on his mission? Can God pick you up as his chosen instrument and play you wherever he likes? Or are you on your own mission? Are you telling his story or your story? Is it all about your worth or is it all about his We've got some things in this generation slightly off. The worth thing we've got off. It needs to be about him. I find myself fully when I find him. When I get caught up in him, when I gaze at him, when I look at him, I can see myself properly. We've gotten, we've gotten some things a little bit off. Are you using your gifts and your talents in his kingdom and for his purposes and his way? Who do you belong to? Who do you live for? Is it you or is it him? On Easter Sunday, make a decision to get that straight. He is alive, which means I'm alive. He died so that I can live. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join. And we are going to honour and celebrate the one who is alive, but we are also going to remind ourselves that we are alive. If you don't know him and you would call yourself, you're on your own mission doing things your own way, all I can say to you is cry out to him. If he calls your name, you'll come. We don't need to do a big call or response. When you're ready, when he calls your name, you will have no choice in it anyway. His call over our lives is irresistible. It's called irresistible grace. It means that by the time he says your name, you're done for. By the time he calls out Hannah or Gemma or Paul or Dave or Ted or Jeremy or Hannah, you're all done. You have to come because the offer that he gives is life in its absolute fullness so let's worship him, let's honour him, let's enjoy this series, He is Alive, and let's remember that it's all about him.